Hey everyone, welcome back to the Swish Woodlad podcast, where today I am joined by one of the game's greats, who is of course on Swish, so exciting opportunity for you all, this legend who I thought would be sitting around that $300 mark on there, is on there for just $50, and add to that the new Woodlad discount, which is $15 off, and we are sitting at $35 for a personalised video message from one of the best to ever do it. Also, up to 70% of those proceeds go to Kiwi Kids Charities, and it is super easy to use. I'll leave a link in the description, so you can just go click on that and get a message from one of the absolute greats of the game. Also, before we start, I have a message from another lad, Tim Bateman, with a very exciting opportunity for all Waterlad listeners. Cheers, Jimmy. Are you looking for an exciting career for life after rugby? My name's Tim Bateman, and I've been a professional rugby player for the last 17 years. My plan for life after rugby was to get into the well-being and recovery industry, so I built O Studio, New Zealand's largest well-being and recovery centre. Despite the challenges of COVID, we've seen consistent growth in our business and we've decided to expand O Studio throughout New Zealand and abroad. It's an exciting time for the well-being industry and we're looking for top lads to be a part of it by opening your own O Studio. If you're interested, head to ostudio.co.nz slash lad to inquire. Back to the show. Oh, what a lad. Well, it's always good to have a genuine legend on the podcast. And to be honest, they do not get much better than today's guest. He's a proud Otago man and potentially the greatest Highlander of all time, having played 153 times for them, including captaining them to the 2015 Super Rugby title. He's also a Commonwealth Games gold medal winner with the New Zealand Sevens and, of course, a Rugby World Cup winner with the All Blacks. He is an incredible player and even a better lad. It is one of the greats. It is Ben Smith. Welcome, mate. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on. That would hurt to say that. 215. Mate, it does. Super rugby, <laughs> finalist and winner. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but what what a year that was for you boys. You boys were incredible that year, eh? Yeah, oh, we just managed to get a bit of momentum and yeah, two, two white battlers at the back going at it in the finals, <laughs> myself and, and the man himself. <laughs> Mate, but awesome to have you on. Um, obviously been a massive fan of yours as a player throughout my career and your name's popped up heaps of times throughout all the other podcasts. So I'm looking forward to hearing some of the stories from your side of you. Yeah, cheers, Jimmy. Yeah, I hope I can give a, a couple of stories. Yeah, I've, I really enjoyed my rugby over the years and hopefully there's a couple of yarns I can give along the way. Yeah, but we'll start with the current. You obviously just come back from Japan. How was it over there? Yeah, it was actually, uh, it was good. The uh, borders are starting to open, mm. so managed to get over there, not do the two weeks uh, when I got there, all the two weeks when I got home. So, uh, yeah, normally that's a month of isolation. And, yeah. yeah, I actually, this time I went over without the family, so they stayed in school back over here and, uh, yeah, managed to play a couple of games. I only played sort of three games, but I really enjoyed uh, my time over there. Obviously, uh, the passing of Cumbie, uh, Steve Cumberland, was uh, pretty sad while we were over there mm. and, uh, yeah, in a way, lucky enough to get over and and uh, have some memories of playing golf with him and um, yeah, share, sharing some time over there uh, before the yeah the sudden shock of him passing away. Yeah, that was incredibly sad news. Eh? So, how did your um, how did the gig come about? Were you sort of expecting a gig? Were you training? Were you 
I thought you were retired. Um, yeah, well, I think most people thought I retired. The club, I think, so I was always signed for this season, but uh, our wee fella had just a little heart issue, and with the borders the way they were, uh, I wasn't keen to to leave NZ and then not be able to get back because yeah. the family weren't going to go. So I sort of said, oh, well, I'm not keen to go with the chance that he might need um, some medical care and, and things like that. So I think the club found it easier just to say that I've retired, and <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened. And then when I sort of said, oh, well, the borders are open up, our wee fella was seen to going pretty good I said oh, I'm keen to get back and um, and finish off the season so that's sort of how that worked out but the club I think it was an easier way for them just to say I've retired and, and they probably didn't think I was coming back so that's how that sort of played out. Mate so you were still training uh, thinking that you're going to go back there? Yeah oh, look to be fair the, the borders looked oh, it didn't look like it was going to open up so I was doing a bit of running gym wise not a whole lot so um, never been massive on the gym, but um, yeah, I was definitely doing a wee bit of running and things like that. But sort of got, I got a couple of weeks when I got over there. We had a bye week the following week, uh, so it sort of gave me a few weeks to yeah to get ready for uh, the Japanese league. Yeah, mm, and you didn't play a heck of a lot. I mean, it's pretty hard now with the foreign rule. There only being four foreigners allowed on the field. Uh, but every time you did get an opportunity, um, you obviously played extremely well. Still got it. Oh, look, I thought it's a hard game to give up, so I really enjoyed getting back over and playing. Unfortunately for Cruds, he uh, got uh, his Achilles were pretty tight in the last few games, but that meant that, uh, yeah, I mean, playing, ended up playing centre with uh, Lacanio Arm, who was, uh, it was good value, actually. He really enjoyed uh, getting over there, playing alongside him, and uh, getting to know him too, top dude, and yeah, I really enjoyed those last few weeks that I was there. So then everyone wants to know, about a million questions came in about this. What, what's next for you? Yeah. Uh, have you hung up the boots or are you still looking for gigs? Um, yeah, at the moment I'm just I'm going to weigh everything up and then I don't want to say I'm retired because then I, <laughs> I sort of I set myself up for failure. So I'll, just, uh, I'll, I'll sit on it for a bit and then oh, you never know. I suppose I'm getting older. I look 45, but I'm 35. But, um, yeah, hopefully uh, if there's an opportunity that pops up, we'll, we'll weigh it up then and, and go from there, yeah. So how is the body feeling? It's actually feeling uh, bloody good. Like yeah. I haven't played a whole lot of rugby over the last couple of years. And, yeah, I really uh, enjoyed the games I played over there. And it's actually, I think that time just to give it a bit of a rest mm. uh, has served me pretty well. So I hadn't, hadn't done a lot of weights when I got over there, obviously. But running-wise, I was uh, still probably just at where I was from the last even season, if not a wee bit better. So, uh, yeah, so the, the, the body is actually uh, feeling pretty good. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. So if the Highlanders <laughs> came calling uh, for the quarterfinal, would you be stepping up? No, oh, no, they're all sorted over there. They're, um, no, they're, I've done my time with the Highlanders, but I'll, I'll be supporting the boys and hopefully uh, get a chance to – Knock over the blues will be underdogs, I would say, but um, you never know. Rugby, uh, yeah, a bloody good game and the fact that you just got to turn up and play bloody well in the night and we'll, we'll be a chance. Yeah, mate, you've done it before. Yeah, we have. Yeah, <laughs> just a bit of momentum, that's all we need, a bit of momentum and, and away we go. But uh, yeah, I'll definitely be rallying them behind the Highlanders as we go forward into the playoffs, hopefully. Yeah, So, and, then, and what about for Otago? Would you potentially look at playing for Otago in the Bunnings Cup? Uh, so at the moment, uh, they've just got like a wider training group where I'm going along and just doing a wee bit of coaching uh, because Tom Donnelly's away with the under-20s uh, and a couple of other coaches. So I'm just getting along there and just helping out on a Wednesday night. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of quite keen just to 
poke my nose into into that sort of space and and hopefully just uh, pass on a wee bit of uh, my learnings and and things I've picked up over the years. Uh, and there's a good good bunch of uh, fellows that are meeting on a Wednesday night that obviously yeah. work through the week and then uh, go along to trainings and play club footy on the weekend. So they're probably not guys that have got contracts at the moment, but that are, are trying to get one. So mm. I'm quite enjoying that, yeah. So would you put the boots on there? <laughs> no, at this stage, no, no. You, oh, you never know, but at, at this stage, um, oh, I'm full on. We've got three kids. Yeah. Uh, I'm coaching both both of uh, oh, Annabelle and Wally's uh, team. So that's that's pretty full on. Um, yeah. and, and doing them on a Saturday, and uh, yeah, I sort of don't want to miss uh, watching their games uh, as well. So, yeah, oh, you never know. I'll see, see what happens. And then that last one would be a Japan gig. That's probably the most likely one, isn't it? When the big Japan uh, clubs come calling for you again. Is that the one you're a lot more likely to take? Um, yeah, to be fair, I think the States is a, a pretty interesting oh, true, one for yeah. us. As a family, I think uh, it's just hard because we've got a, a wee fellow that's uh, seven months. Uh, Vinny, who, yeah, he's, he's still not sleeping through the night or anything like that. So uh, he's a big job for Katie. So, I'll, yeah, we'll see how he, he tracks. But, um yeah, if Katie said let's let's do it, let's go over, then I'd be keen as muscle to get over and, and try the states. It looks like a pretty awesome competition there and a growing competition that's um yeah, that's that's good to watch. So yeah, you never know. Yeah, mate, a lot of guys are going <laughs> over there. Hey, eh? have you heard from anyone over there who how much they're enjoying it or anything? Yeah, well I heard from Tom Franklin actually. Who, oh, yeah. He went over and played in San Diego, I think, himself. Dan Pryor, I think. They just sort of said, right, we want a, a place by the beach. We want a couple of surfboards. Give us a wee bit of money to get by each week and we'll be there. And so they signed uh, over in San Diego. And when he came back, he said he loved it. So, True. Uh, yeah, he's definitely selling the American dream over there, yeah. So it's not <laughs> it's not really a money thing. It's more of a lifestyle thing. So obviously the Japan's sort of where you got the, the money perks. But is it in America you've got a lifestyle sort of gig and that's what you're chasing? Yeah, I think it's a different different way of life over there and, yeah. and, and a lifestyle thing. As you said, I think that's why most of the Kiwi guys are actually doing a bit of both now, a bit of Japan and the States and obviously Europe. But um, yeah, there's definitely a growing contingent of Kiwis over in the States really enjoying it. And I think, you know, with the I saw the States the other day, got the World Cup, yeah. you know, in a, in a few years' time. So I think the game's only going to grow and I think that, uh, that league will grow too. Definitely, eh? and you've already mentioned you were getting into the coaching side of things. Is that where it would go, um, into a player, then player coach, into a coach? Yeah, I'm not I'm not 100% sure if, if that's for me or not, yeah. but I just thought I'd, I'd try it. I know there's a lot more in coaching than there is playing the game. I know how uh, hard that is. I've you know, seen coaches who, who get in early in the morning and, and don't leave till sort of 6 or 7 at night, and they're working on weekends. Uh, you know, working around the clock to, to make sure they're prepared. If, if it's not for the game in the weekend, then it's the, the following week. So mm. that's not lost on me of how hard that is. And, uh, yeah, I, I want to make sure I can balance with my family doing a wee bit of, of rugby coaching and things like that. So I'll see see how that goes. Mate, it's exciting times. Exciting times ahead for you and I can definitely tell you're definitely not retired. There's going to be gigs coming, <laughs> coming out. I'll see how we go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you doing a bit of coaching as well at the moment? Yeah, I'm at Tasman, so um, I'm a little bit like, yeah, I've just sort of dipped the toes in and um, slowly working my way out. But, yeah, you're right. You do quickly find out how much coaches do behind the scenes eh, that you sort of take for granted as a player. 
yeah, sitting in front of a screen for a long time, coding things and yeah. and doing a bit of admin. Yeah, 100%. But anyway, it's always yeah. um, good to hear the stories from the start and keen to hear how your sort of story started. Obviously, um, the legend that you are. Give us the rundown of your childhood. Uh, I don't know about legend, but uh, yeah, I like I had a good upbringing as far as we lived about 100 metres from the rugby field, so that was a good start. Oh, yeah. uh, had a whole lot of kids on our street that were um, uh, into either playing rugby, cricket, uh, tennis, whatever was going really. And so sometimes we we're a bit lazy to get down to the rugby field, so we'd play, you know, touch rugby on the street, uh, try and dodge a few cars. We actually lived in a dead end street, which uh, meant that we could get away with it a bit more. Uh, had a real good upbringing, went to King's High School, uh, met some good mates. And uh, yeah, I'd just say that I, I fell in love with the game of rugby early on. And uh, I'd take a, a rugby ball everywhere pretty much to uh, to keep myself entertained. So yeah, a pretty good upbringing, really. Were you, were you good at rugby? Uh, well, my parents early on, they didn't, uh, they sort of went until about under sevens, under eights until they gave me a crack at it. Oh, yeah. uh, I think mum and dad appreciated the weekends for a couple of years there and then they decided to to throw me in the mix but uh nah, I was just a yeah, run-of-the-mill sort of player um, but enjoyed the game and, and slowly chipped away at trying to get better really. And when did you start thinking this is your dream or when did you think it was a possibility to potentially make a career out of it? Uh, so it wasn't until, so I played for uh, the Otago Sevens, we used to play up in Queensland, I don't know if you yeah. played that tournament up there, it was awesome. So we got most of the support being Otago, between us and Otago country we've got a lot of support up there. And so I played a bit of sevens and uh, so I managed to play uh, one of the tournaments and then uh, from there I played that tournament and then a week later the Highlanders were having a trial, uh, just an inter-trial between uh, each other. So Greg Cooper, who was the coach, he said come along and just sort of sit on the bench, you know, you might get sort of five minutes and then uh, from there uh, Craig Clear was one of the fullbacks and so he went down with five minutes. So I was like sort of started to get up thinking, oh, I might get a chance here. And then uh, Glenn Horden went down as well uh, within, that must have been 10 minutes. So uh, I was sort of the neck cab off the ranks. So I, I got a, a chance to play in the trial game and then uh, managed to get 70 minutes. And it was just one of those things where things managed to stick. Uh, the bounce of the ball went my way and I'd go straight through the line and things like that. that yeah. but a wee bit of fortune at, at the time, but that gave me uh, a chance to uh, get in the under-21s at the time. Uh, we weren't travelling anywhere, but we played Canada after the All Blacks played them uh, up in Rotorua. And from there, sort of things started to happen and uh, got an opportunity to play for Otago, which, yeah, that was that was interesting. Uh, Otago, <laughs> at the time, we uh, so we were playing Wellington first game. And so they were... They were pretty stacked with All Blacks. They had somebody, Allison, Jose Gere, Piri Ripu, I think Rodney Soyalo was playing. They, like, it was pretty much an All Black uh, team at the time. Yeah. Uh, and so we went up there for Otago, and that was my that was my first game. Uh, and so we got into it, and I was playing fullback, and at the time it just felt like ball, uh, ball rush. Everyone was sort of breaking through from everywhere. <laughs> uh, and um, we, we lost by 70 points, and I thought, oh, well, this, uh, this could be me, that could be my first and last. And yeah, I remember Colsey, Dane Coles yeah. came on and he was sort of in the same situation where we were just trying to get our careers going and things like that. And uh, even like he he broke through the line. I uh, can't remember who he stepped, but, you know, Jenkins <laughs> drives his way over the try line and he's, you know, celebrating hot dogging <laughs> like he does. And I was thinking, you know, this, 
this couldn't go any worse. And and I'm looking at Colsey there, who's having a, a great old time with his um, his debut. So <laughs> that was my introduction. So I thought it'd be my first and last. But from there, uh, I didn't really play the next year. And uh, Steve Martin was a coach, and he sort of fair enough chucked me on the uh, on the back burner for a wee bit. Mm. Uh, and then I I started getting opportunity from there. True. So your pathway from school, were you not in straight into an academy or anything like that? It was just thrown into this random um, trial game. Yeah, so actually, first year out of school, uh, I had a coach that was at uh, Kings High School who went over um, to Bristol and he was coaching the old Colston's Collegiate uh, High School over there, oh, yeah. uh, which was a bit of a rugby school. So he said straight out of school, he said, oh, well, um, come over here, work at the school, you can just do odd jobs and then um, play for their old boys team, which is called the old Colstonians. So my first year out of school, I went and had a, a gap year over in Bristol, which okay. I, I really enjoyed. Uh, so I had a, a full year over there and I just worked at the school mainly doing PE. So I did a wee bit of PE uh, and then I was just filling gaps really all over the place. So like even uh, at lunchtime, uh, the receptionist, she'd go have her lunch and I'd be answering phone calls uh, at the, the office. Not not being from accounts, but, um, <laughs> you know, being be, be, be from the office. Uh, so I'd actually race. So we lived close by to the school. I'd get uh, back to the house and where we lived. I'd put on, you know, my, my shirt and tie and things like that and get along to the reception, do that, get back, get back in my PE gears. And then that was sort of a bit of me. And then we trained twice a week. Uh, real casual, it would be the equivalent of like a um, prem two, maybe seniors oh, yeah. uh, here. And so uh, I really enjoyed it though. Like they um, made me feel pretty welcome getting over there. And they just really lived for training, playing the game in the weekend. And then the biggest one was going to the club room on a Saturday night mm. uh, in the weekends where uh, they'd often stitch me up. Uh, they'd have a, you know, a pint of nasty, they, they, what they called it, every weekend where they'd fill up. Uh, you know, a bit of Guinness. Um, they'd be curry that they'd have uh, for dinner that they'd chuck in a pint of us, and they'd give it. They'd give it to the player of the day at the time. There was a, a lot of those Aussie beers, like the Four X and Fosters and things yeah. like that. And they'd, they'd fill up a beer and then they'd give it to the player of the day. And I think you know, a lot of the time they thought it would be funny if they just gave it to me every time. So, um, and probably some of the other ones wouldn't wouldn't attempt it. But I was, yeah, I was eighteen, nineteen at the time, and thought I'd better better stick to the stick to the tradition so yeah I really really enjoyed my time over there actually Bristol was uh good and uh yeah thanks to Dale Patterson I got an opportunity over there but you mentioned uh going into the Otago environment we've already heard stories from uh Craig Newby etc on how sort of loose it was down there especially on the piss um playing for Otago was it the same when you went in there yeah early days yeah Newbs was there when I first went in uh yeah, he must have been, <laughs> he must have had a bit of money back then because I remember he even paid off like Khan Heskip at one point. I, he, it must have been after a game. He couldn't be bothered um, packing his bag up and, and getting his uh, kit already. So he paid Khan Heskip at the time. I think it was like 20 or $30 uh, to pack up all his bag and get him all sorted so that uh, he didn't have to do that after a game. So, um, But I, I remember at the time it was like a um, we had a, a states committee and so after, oh, as I said before, that first game against uh, the um, Wellington team, we decided we'd go for a beer because uh, myself, George Whitelock and Brett Mather, it was our first games against Wellington. And we yeah. thought uh, we'd, just, we'd just lost. Well, it was a heavy loss. And, but we thought, oh, well, we, you know, it was a milestone for us. So we thought we'd, we'd go have a beer. But at the time, we, 
uh, had a Montese, and the rule was you just got to stick to spades. So it was pretty pretty big back then that you made sure that you stick to spades. Uh, and yeah, I don't know who it was, but we must have drunk a Montese. The very first beer we had when we'd gone uh, out after the game, we had a Montese, and I said I don't know who it was. No one really came forward, but yeah, that was called uh, yeah. That, that meant that the devil was inside us and we had to um, purge the devil. So they actually gave it a couple of weeks until um, they decided that we, we needed to get it out. So that was pretty old school back then and it wouldn't, wouldn't happen now, but um, that meant that there was only one way to sort of get the devil out and that was to drink spates until the Montes had come out. And so um, Steve Cumberland actually at the time, he was watching us and and he was deciding when that devil would come out. And, yeah, it was yeah, it was just a bit of old school. But, um, yeah, definitely things have changed in that space. We, we, we did have a long turnaround. But, um, yeah, I remember Brent Maven and George Whitelock and myself, we, we regretted drinking Montes at the time. <laughs> oh, I and and I, I do yeah, I do know now, like, even the Hondas and Otago, like, we get given, like, a, a chart of all the – Spates and Lion Nathan products. So oh, you yeah. can go through and you can, when you get to a bar, you can say, oh, well, these are the ones that are, you know, we, we, we can we can have. So um, we didn't have that back then. It was yeah, probably a bit silly to drink Montes. But, um, yeah, I suppose it was just that relationship that we had with Spates was always pretty big back then. They looked yeah. after Targo. They looked after the Hondas. And it was just a bit of a, a way to repay them. And, um, yeah, a wee bit of a tradition at the time. But you got the devil out. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. It took it took a wee bit, but we got it out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. so good. And then going <laughs> going from um, Otago, you qu- quite quickly made your way into the Highlanders sort of environment, didn't you? So, talk me through that sort of process. Yeah, so it was two thousand and seven that we played that Wellington game. Didn't get a, a whole lot of game time uh, the rest of that year, yeah. and then two thousand and eight managed to get a bit more consistency of of games. And so then I made the Hollanders in 2009 from there and, yeah, managed to sort of start the first couple of games. And and I think the big thing was I found with Super Rugby was if you were playing every week, it became a bit easier. It became uh, that consistency of, of playing every week gave you a better performance, I found. And so I definitely made heaps of mistakes early on. And there was uh, Monday reviews that I'd go into and wonder if I'd be playing again in the weekend because – uh, it was pretty obvious that um, there was definitely uh, mistakes in my and flaws in my game, but I was really lucky that um, Glenn Moore gave me the chance to keep playing, and and he sort of showed a lot of faith in me at the time to to keep playing every week, and and that sort of I thought that set me up for the years to come. Yeah, were you a confident player, or did you always feel like they have a little bit of doubt around your game? Uh, I think early on it was a real. It was a real interesting period as to whether um, I was up to that level or not. Like I, I felt definitely confident playing club rugby and uh, things were going pretty well in that space. And then I suppose every time you sort of go up a level, you you, you just I, I always sort of took a wee bit just to figure out that you know I could I could match it with you know the players at that time and and the teams that were going around. So yeah, that was definitely a learning as I went through. And what was it about the Highlanders sort of culture that you loved so much? Yeah, so I was like a lot of kids growing up in Dunedin that I went along to Carisbrook, watched uh, the likes of Brownie and Pete Alatini and Jeff Wilson, Brendan Laney, all, all those kind of guys, Tane Randall. We just had a uh, pretty good team to watch when I was younger. So I remember watching them 
uh, they really enjoyed their rugby. They looked like they got on well. And uh, I remember them, you know, having different celebrations when they'd score tries. And you just watched on thinking, you know, that looked like a, a good environment to be in. And uh, they had their own, I, I think we had, the Hollanders had our own way of going about um, playing rugby and, and our weeks. And uh, that's what I saw. And then obviously got to be a part of it later on, which I really enjoyed. And you saw, when you sort of went into that environment, it's probably fair to say that the Highlanders were struggling a little bit. They were always sort of the lower end of the table. But you were there and sort of turned it around and obviously got them right to the top in that 2015. So what was the turnaround there? What did you guys do? Yeah, so early on when I was in there, we, we did really battle. We uh, would have the odd good game, but uh, consistency of uh, how we performed as a team wasn't there. So... Um, what turned it around, I think, you know, we were lucky enough to, like Jamie Joseph came in in 2010, 2011, and he came in, brought a bit of, I suppose, a hard-nosed approach. Like, we did a lot of down-ups yeah. um, and had this mentality that we wanted to go for 12 rounds, uh, which was like a boxing analogy that, you know, we wanted to show a lot of fight. We might not have had the talent that some of the other teams had, but we were not going to let our mates down and we were going to work hard for each other. So that was that was installed in us from Jamie. and then. Jamie was obviously pretty hard-nosed, but then um, Tony Brown came along and Brownie was uh, probably on the flip side, like the yang to James Yang and, and the fact that he was a lot about um, innovation and he was a big around culture and he was probably a bit more sort of like work beside you and, and try and work it out together, whereas Jamie was very much, you know, he was a um, strong driver of keeping people accountable. Not that Brownie wasn't, but he would he would often say it how it was and sort of uh, Brownie, the way that he was innovative and things like that, it sort of worked in our favour because they uh, they both managed to sort of point us in the direction of getting better as a team uh, from there. And uh, I think that led to, you know, we made the um, playoffs. Uh, we lost in the playoffs, but then, uh, you know, the next few years that set us up for um, winning it in 2015. And we probably learned a lot when we actually, in 2013, we went in, you know, Jamie went and recruited a lot of big-name All Blacks at the time, but we probably didn't work hard enough on our culture and uh, what we're about, and we probably relied on uh, on that talent of having a lot of All Blacks, and that was a good learning at the time. Yeah. Was that the famous year where you guys were 0-8? Yeah, 0-8. Yeah, 0-8. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't a good year. Um, so we really, yeah, we really struggled. But the thing was, we were, it, it was tight. It wasn't like we were... Um, losing yeah. by large margins, we would lose by between three and seven points. I think there was like five games in a row where we'd lose between three and seven points. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, that takes its toll yeah. over over those few weeks. Uh, but I think that actually set us up for two fifteen because we we learnt what we're about as a team, what our culture was about, what our environment was. Uh, and I've I've learned a lot from Jamie and Brownie and the fact that. If your culture and your environment's right, that your rugby can actually piggyback off the back of that. And there's some things that you know your your culture and your environment can show within a game uh, that you can practice all, all day long. But um, unless those those things are right, people won't work hard for each other. Mm. And when did you realise in 2015 that you had the culture um, to win a competition? Uh, yeah, I, I think you know we started to get a bit of a roll on. We played the Chiefs down in. Invercargill. No one really likes, uh, <laughs> well, especially visiting teams going down to Invercargill to play, but we really enjoyed getting down there. Got a lot of support and we uh, enjoyed getting down there. Uh, and so we managed to 
sort of, I remember Waisaki scoring some freakish tries down there. And then we sort of got a wee bit of momentum. And then we played the Chiefs a couple of weeks later in the quarterfinal and, and beat them again. And you could just feel a bit of momentum coming our way. And I knew our culture and environment was good because the boys were pretty relaxed in the way that we were playing. And we, we sort of felt like we didn't have a whole lot to lose because uh, in a way we're probably underdogs right from the get-go of winning the competition. You guys uh, had had beaten us well and truly during the round robin stages. I know um, Jerry Collins had passed away and, and you guys were pretty fired up uh, to put out a good performance um, in the round robin sort of mm-hmm. stages. So like the back end of the season, we managed to get that momentum mm-hmm. and that gave us a bit of a chance. And then we beat the Waratahs over in Sydney. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember a big thing of that was in the newspaper the day we played, it came out and it had how many Wallabies they had in their Ford pack and how many you know, all blacks we had in ours, and I don't think at the time we had, I don't even know if we had one, mm. um, but we had a, a pretty good crew that would work hard for each other. And uh, I remember Jamie used that as, he was pretty good uh, at his motivational speech, uh, speeches, and he sort of, you know, pulled that out of nowhere just before the game and, you know, listed off how what this reporter had said and that we were not a chance and things like that. And so uh, the forwards had arced up, and, and that's how we managed to. Uh, I think get one over the Waratahs that day, yeah. And then all, yeah, all of a sudden we're in the final, and then anyone's a chance in a final, and yeah, that's that's when we played you boys. Yeah, mate. And to be fair, going into that final, it was pretty much the same. If you compared the teams on paper, the probably only person you'd take from the Highlanders into the Hurricanes would be swap the two fullbacks, and you've got pretty much the All Blacks squad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but on paper, like the Hurricanes no, team was stacked. You, I remember you jibbing me in that game, actually. <laughs> I don't normally get in a fullback um, sort of fight during the uh, the game, but I remember you giving me a bit at times. I was, I was sort of looking over, thinking, oh, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. But what do you remember about that game? Like, obviously, um, massive crowd, huge occasion, heaps of Highlanders fans had come up. Were you always pretty comfortable that you were going to get the job done? I don't know about comfortable. I still doubt whether Elliot got that down. Um, <laughs> I'd tell him that too. But um, yeah, I remember the week actually was a, a pretty good week in the fact of everyone from around home was sort of starting to think about getting tickets, travelling up. Yeah. My parents and uh, Katie's parents and Katie and uh, Annabelle at the time came up. And then there was Lashes. I don't know if you remember yeah, Lashes, but yeah. he was making these speeches on a Thursday and Friday that would um they sort of ended up being pretty legendary and then uh there was that um is it the shepherd's arms i think that a whole lot of people were starting to meet there before the game and all of a sudden there was just a lot of excitement about getting up to wellington and uh then i got along to, i remember getting along to the stadium and you know what it's like at, at westpac stadium normally you're chucking a bit of grass up <laughs> and it's going every way but uh it was one of those nights where it was just uh yeah there's no wind to speak of uh, it was a perfect night to play rugby, and I suppose you, know, you would have been the same. It sort of gets you excited that you know we're going to have a pretty good, entertaining game of rugby, and that's what happened. I, I remember the, the kickoff. Uh, I don't think it it stopped for a while. It, it, it sort of went from side to side. Everyone was having a crack, and yeah, uh, I remember after sort of five minutes thinking if we keep this sort of pace up, you know, everyone could be out of their feet by eighty minutes. So <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's sort of what I remember from that final year. Mate, and then when the whistle went, what was the feeling like? Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty unreal, actually. I know I looked across at you guys and you were pretty deflated, as you should be. Uh, but, hey, you went on to win the one the next year. So, 
Uh, but we had the likes of Jamie and Brownie and oh, I remember Andy Watts and a whole lot of guys that had obviously put in a lot of work to get us to where we were, were sideline ready for that final whistle to go. And then, mm. you know, that they put a lot of time and effort in and um, oh, it was just an awesome feeling. And then, you know, the boys were pretty um, fizzed up that, you know, we'd done it and then got into the changing room and then the likes of your lashes, he came in and I don't know, he gave another spiel and... <laughs> Um, the boys were chahoing again and, and then, you know, Shane Christie, he was full Hollanders cap for the rest of the <laughs> night and uh, we went back to where we were staying and met family and friends and things like that and uh, took the trophy back there and had a had a good night. So, yeah, it was, it was definitely one of my uh, best memories of, of rugby in general, yeah. Mm. Is that when the sort of bender with bender started after that? Um, yeah, I didn't yeah, – uh, that nickname actually came around when I was playing for Green Island. So oh, true. Um, it was, yeah, so that was, uh, I should have, when I first turned up to Green Island, they said, oh, what's your nickname? It was Smithy at the time. Um, but they said, oh, I don't think they like that nickname. So they, there was a guy, Matt Adair, so they called him Mattress. And so obviously pretty original that came from, uh, you know, my nickname came from Ben. But um, yeah, I haven't heard that. Ben yeah, so you've sort of picked up this reputation of being, Unreal on a bender from just a made-up nickname. Yeah, yeah, which is probably uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's based on a lie to be fair. <laughs> I'm horrible. <laughs> oh, so it was just yeah. Shane Christie and the cat. You you didn't follow him for too many days. No, nah, no, nah, he yeah, I, yeah. I think he actually was meant to play for Maori on like a Monday or something, but um, he was still going on the fact that I think he turned that down because yeah. <laughs> He was um, still in his kit, going, going for it. Yeah. <laughs> Unreal, eh? But we, I do need to talk about your all-black career, so I'm pretty keen to hear a little bit more about that. So is it true that you made the all-blacks after one super season, was it? Yeah, so 2009 uh, was my first super season, and then, yeah, got a got a chance at the end of your tour. So yeah, I was sort of like a young kid, really, that was going into that all-black environment that was, yeah, I suppose rubbing shoulders with guys like Dan Carter and Richie McCaw and that, and yeah, uh, yeah, I got a couple of opportunities at the back end of 2009. Uh, we played Italy, uh, obviously in Italy in Milan, and that was that was pretty uh, pretty awesome experience, pretty um, surreal getting out there and playing for the All Blacks, and uh, yeah, definitely learnt a lot in that tour and watched professionals and and guys that have played a lot of Test rugby go about their weekly schedules and how uh, organised they were and how they prepared for test matches and things like that. I think, you know, that helped probably progress my own rugby and learned a lot off off those kind of players, yeah. Mm. And when you have a rapid rise into the All Blacks like that, um, did you feel comfortable in the environment or did you feel well out of your depth? <laughs> nah, I felt real uncomfortable, that's for sure. Yeah. And I think you never are comfortable in the All Black environment. It's one of those environments uh, you're always on your toes. and. True. Uh, going into that environment, uh, yeah, it was definitely a massive uh, sort of shock. And, uh, yeah, I went in there with uh, Zach Guilford and Mike Delaney at the time. So oh, yeah. uh, there's the three of us that were eyes wide open going into that. And, uh, yeah, a pretty awesome experience now looking back at it. And we first started in uh, Japan. Uh, we played Australia and Japan and then moved on to the India Tour. It was like a six-week tour, yeah, which was um, quite a big tour at the time. So, yeah, definitely. You, n- you never come to in that all black environment, and 
yeah, definitely you see people like Manu and that, and you know, like, <laughs> it can be pretty intimidating. When you first, um, yeah, when you first sort of walk into that sort of environment, and um, but at the same time, like awesome learnings, awesome that they sort of get alongside you, helped uh, progress your game, and then you, you know you get the best coaching we had. Ted at the time mm. uh, and Steve Hansen, Wayne Smith um, but yeah, never, never, never come to remember Wayne Smith, one of my first trainings I had my socks down um, just hadn't had, like, just hadn't had a chance, like, everything going on <laughs> hadn't had a chance to pull them up and he saw me just before training, he's like well, are you a socks down kind of player? Are you? Is, that, is that your character? And I was sort of you know, quickly whip my socks up and then from there I probably just, you know, everything that was going on, I was sort of double checking things and making sure that I was doing things right uh, and that sort of stuck with me, you know, just uh, I suppose like Wayne Smith always driving standards and mm. a little thing like not having your sock pulled up, you know, he was calling people up on it and just always driving just just little standards and that was off the field before you even got onto the training pad, pad yeah. yeah so was that even at the back end of your career you still didn't feel comfortable in there even though you're the all black nah. legend everyone was looking up to you oh no like i don't think you're ever comfortable you always yeah like there, there's a lot of like in that all black environment there's a lot of pressure on uh the whole team to perform and yeah i think the fact that you're never comfortable in there means that everyone's the same. I suppose I wouldn't be the first one to say that, that you're, mm. um, you're always trying to get your own process right, your preparation, and uh, the way that the coaches set up the weeks, you know, in a review and things like that, they're always um, pushing the point as to making sure that we get better, even, you know, after performing really well against teams and putting a few points on teams, mm. you always were nervy going into the reviews on a Monday because, that's probably where they picked things apart the most after a good win and um, made sure that, yeah, people were accountable. And, yeah, Shag was probably pretty ruthless at times at, at uh, the team review on a Monday, but you knew it was always for the, the benefit of the team, yeah. Yeah, so it was a pretty ruthless start for you as well. Obviously, that second year um, you weren't picked. Um, well, did you get much feedback around that? But then the opportunity came for you to go to the Commonwealth Games with the New Zealand Sevens side as well. So Yeah, look, uh, 2009, Super Rugby, I was really happy with how I was tracking and then into the um, the NPC. Uh, but then, yeah, the All Blacks, like the opportunities I got, like I, I was okay, but I wasn't great. And I knew that oh, I had a lot to work on. Um, 2010, came back and knew that there was probably – um, at that level that I needed to probably perform at a better level to get more opportunities going forward. So I wasn't too surprised in 2010 when I didn't make it. It was probably a realisation that I just needed to be better. Yeah. Um, and then I got uh, an opportunity to go to the Commonwealth Games. Pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wayne Smith sort of, I think he um, managed to set that up for me and, and talk to Titch and say, you know, I'll be able to sort of contribute to that environment and that campaign. So uh, yeah, I went and went and played sevens over in Delhi. There was um, Jose, Zach, uh, at the time, I think they were the same as me and, and on the outer a wee bit with the All Blacks and mm. Liam Messon was playing. Yeah. Uh, so I played sevens uh, and, yeah, won a Commonwealth Games gold medal. Yeah, um, Kurt Baker yeah. scored a hell of a try to, to beat them in the last sort, of, last sort of seconds and that was pretty cool, actually. And then seeing how, yeah, we had like Lottie Ruck and Buller, uh, Tomasi Palmer, mm. guys like that, the Sevens legends that, you know, they were awesome, man. They came in, they brought us into that environment, they made us feel pretty welcome. And then right from the get-go, they were trying to teach us the game of Sevens. So 
Yeah, and we went to we went to because uh, we were sort of acclimatizing to um, the conditions that were going to be over it in uh, Delhi. We went to Dubai first, and man, it was hot, and just touch just ran the shit out of us. So <laughs> I remember at one point there was a bit of shade down one touchline, and it was important to get down that side um, <laughs> if you needed it, if you needed it because uh, yeah, it was pretty brutal. But it sort of set us up for a good Commonwealth Games, and yeah, I went through the. Um, the whole touch regime and and definitely uh, saw what everyone was talking about as far as you know how ruthless he was in preparing his teams and making sure they were ready for uh, a sevens tournament. Yeah. And how hard did you find that adjustment to the seven man game? Obviously, you'd played a little bit at Queenstown. You mentioned earlier, but um, not a huge amount. And obviously, the conditioning aspect of it as well. Yeah, so I played. Yeah, played a wee bit um, over at that Queenstown tournament, but. I actually really enjoyed that transition. We bit more space, obviously, in sevens. A chance to, oh, I think when you when you work on like when you go to sevens, it actually helps coming back to fifteens. Um, so the conditioning part of it was massive. We we were, oh, I reckon, going into Delhi, we were the best team there as far as conditioning wise. And then um, off the back of that, you know, coming back into fifteens was that really set me up then to, um, you know, to give fifteens another good crack and. Um, yeah, I was pretty lucky to get that experience of that was my first experience with the All Black Sevens was going to that Commonwealth Games. So I was lucky that it was an opportunity to play at a big event like uh, the Commonwealth Games. And yeah, I suppose pretty lucky looking back that uh, just the timing wise that mm. I managed to do that. Yeah. And then the following year, you obviously would have had your um, goals set on making that Rugby World Cup squad 2011, um, which unfortunately you did miss out on that. How hard was that one for you to take? Yeah, well, that was a goal. Um, like everyone else playing New Zealand, and, yeah. uh, playing rugby in New Zealand, that was that was the goal to. Um, and and I suppose you know there was a lot of excitement that it was back in New Zealand. Uh, there was you know a chance for us to probably rectify what had happened in two thousand and seven. So that was it was massive to to try and push for that, mm. but it wasn't to be. There was um, really good outside backs in uh, New Zealand in two thousand and eleven, and yeah, it just wasn't wasn't my moment to to have a crack in an event like that. So had to sort of just buy my time, and yeah, I was lucky enough. And then in following years to get a, a crack back in the environment and uh, to be able to then play more tests from there. But uh, at the same time, awesome to see uh, us as All Blacks perform really well in a tournament like that. Um, win the World Cup, New Zealand get right in behind us, mm. um, and yeah, it was just different for me. It was watching in front of the in the TV and uh, having a few beers. So yeah, <laughs> uh, different to what I sort of imagined. Uh, I suppose at the start of 2011, that um, you know, might have been a chance to to play, but just did, didn't work out that way. Did you ever think about telling um, Graham Henry that you could play ten? <laughs> I would have had a crack it up, but um, yeah, nah, yeah. Might have been an opportunity, might be my only in that year, but uh, yeah, I actually played 10 back in the day. But oh, I know, mate, if I reckon if Graham Henry knew that, it might have been your movie, not Beavers. <laughs> yeah, he's still reaping the benefits, eh, old Beaver? He's still, uh, yeah, still cashing in on that, day, eh, which is uh, good to see. He deserves it because he, he obviously copped a wee bit yeah. for a while there, and then uh, good to see him turn it around and um. Yeah, he deserves everything he gets old Beaver. Yeah, mate, he's a champion. But for you, fast-forwarding four years, 2015 World Cup, this is where you'd sort of cemented yourself as an All Black. And um, talk to me about this Rugby World Cup for you. 
Yeah, 2015, a good year. Uh, obviously, we'd um, <laughs> we'd managed to beat you boys in the in the final for the Super Rugby, and yeah, it was yeah we'd had a couple of good years leading up to that World Cup, um, 2013. We'd you know managed to do a calendar year without um, dropping a game, mm. and then yeah, there's obviously uh, a lot of excitement going into that that tournament. It's been you know something that I missed out on in 2011, and there was a lot of pressure being over in the in the UK, but I could imagine that that was tenfold being back here in New Zealand. So it was actually quite good to get over there. We had a pretty sort of low key um, start to the the tournament, and the fact we were there early got a good good amount of training in. That wasn't low key; that was pretty high pressure. The, <laughs> the trainings was beating the shit out of each other uh, for a few weeks there, even when the pool games were going. So yeah, yeah, awesome experience. And my family ended up coming over near the end of pool play and. Yeah, hoping that um, I suppose we were going to stay there till the end. Otherwise, we'd all be packing up our bags and going home. So, yeah, it worked out worked out pretty good in the end. Oh, worked out very well. And what do you remember about the, that final series? Yeah, I remember France. There was because oh, everyone uh, knew what happened in two thousand and seven. There was uh, definitely a lot of tension going into that game. But I thought we, you know, we managed to put that to bed. I suppose and and play really good footy against the. Uh, the French and yeah I thought we played a pretty expensive game and then things started to stick and then I think you know in the pool play we weren't actually playing that good at rugby so um, when it got to playoffs I think we'd set ourselves up really well in the fact of you know we were really well prepared and then yeah we got a a good performance against France and then we knew that South Africa were dangerous so we played them in the semi and we knew it was going to be a bit different to that quarterfinal and yeah it was I remember watching at the time it was a massive shot when Japan beat them but they turned that around and then they started to perform really well and yeah we only just scraped through against them to be fair that Sam Whitelock stole a line out sort of 20 metres from our own line and that was probably the difference of it wasn't much in it and then all all of a sudden we were playing Aussie in the final and that was a, a yeah a, a big week it sort of felt like it went forever before that game sort of kicked off and mm. The final, I just remember probably the start and and the fact that, you know, guys like Conrad Smith and Richie and um, uh, everyone really was just teeing off and and defensively, we actually shut them out for the first five or ten minutes and um, bodies were sort of being thrown everywhere. Um, So that was a a big memory of mine probably. Um, And then, yeah, I managed to get ten in the bin, my first yellow card um, in professional rugby. Oh, was it? (laughs) Yeah, not a good time to do it in the World Cup final. And I remember sitting on the bench thinking, geez, and they scored two tries when I was on the bench and thinking, geez, I hope hope we get this across the line because otherwise, you know, I could be battling to get back to New Zealand here. I'm going to have to find somewhere else, move the family and... (laughs) I don't know, go live somewhere else and apply my apply my trade somewhere else. So um, that was scary times, that 10 minutes in the bin. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, lucky to get back on the field and uh, we sort of pulled through after that and managed to to get it done. And then, yeah, obviously a, a couple of good days following that and getting home and the parades and everything like that. New Zealand was sort of going off and awesome memories really, yeah. Was that a genuine fear on the bench that you might not be able to return home? Is that where the mind's going? Is your mind just racing sitting there watching that? Mine was racing, yeah. And and you're trying to tell yourself, no, nah, don't, don't think like that. But um, <laughs> it is. It is, definitely is. Uh, thinking, yeah, where am, where am I going to go? And luckily, uh, you know, Conrad Smith came mm-hmm. over while I was uh, getting that 10 minutes um, for that yellow card and he came over and he – he sort of said, you know, you're, you're all good, don't worry, don't stress, you know, mm. we're, we're good, we've got this. And 
uh, it was only like a, a couple of comments from him, but it meant a lot at the time because you, you feel pretty isolated. I was sitting on a chair, no one really to talk to or um, to communicate with. And yeah, him, just because they were still staying warm in that, and some of the boys were warming up to come over and just have a quick yarn. You know, that's that's snaky for me. He knew the, you know, the thoughts that were going through my head, and and oh, just a top team man, really. You know, you know, snaky pretty well. But yeah, definitely scary time sitting on that bench, <laughs> mate. But then you went back on and you completely made well, up for it for sure because <laughs> um, contributed to probably the greatest All Black try in the history of the game. Um, what do you remember about that one? Putting that kick through, watching Bodie go. Uh, yeah, I just remember that um, Drew Mitchell sort of spilled the ball, just sort of popped up. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I didn't know that sort of Bodie was coming through the middle. I just sort of had a had a step and then um, sort of towed it ahead, probably shin kicked it ahead, Lima would say. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, and then he just came out of nowhere like Bodie does. And, uh, yeah, I suppose that sort of sealed it for us. And from there, she was sort of, she was a done deal, and then oh, DC goes and kicks it with his wrong foot. But um, <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, awesome, awesome uh, to get back out there. I suppose after that yellow card, and to be able to do something in a positive light rather than being chucked on that bloody chair for um, <laughs> for a tip tackle. Yeah, there was uh, there was definitely a better way to finish, and yeah, a good couple of days followed. Yeah, yeah. What is what is that next couple of days like as a All Black World Cup winner? Yeah, it was awesome. It was, uh, I think there was a pretty cool time in the fact that we got back to the hotel where we were staying. We went um, just into the team room. There was obviously a lot of family and stuff around the hotel, but it was just an awesome opportunity to get down in the team room. The World Cup was there. There was no real official stuff the, the night after uh, the World Cup final. So I, I quite enjoyed that because yeah. it was, you know, there was a lot of bloody pressure on us to perform well that day. And then to be able to just sit down, have a couple of beers, um, talk a bit of shit, and and sit there with the World Cup, mm. uh, that was that was pretty, uh, yeah, pretty special and and pretty good times. And there, yeah, I remember like William Apiata was there because um, he was a big part of you know our defence and our mindset and everything like that. And like people like that, he was down in the team room sharing his stories and um, having a beer or two. Yeah, it was, it was awesome, mate. How good. And then. Um... Fast forwarding another four years, Rugby World Cup in Japan. Talk to me about this campaign and what it was like for you. Yeah, it was a um, a t- tough campaign for everyone, really. I think you know we were tracking pretty well in the fact that we played Ireland in that in that quarter final, and yeah, the boys played pretty well. And then yeah, I don't know. I, I suppose that may uh, looking back, maybe that gave us a false sense of security going into the semi final. And England were fired up. They you could tell that. You know, they were well prepared. Um, they managed tactically to probably be a bit better than us uh, that day. And, yeah, uh, I was running the waters, but um, oh, it hurt for everyone involved um, that game. And, yeah, a good lesson, I suppose, in out-preparing teams. But they yeah, they just beat us to the punch and everything. And it hurts to say that, but um, they did and deserve to go on to the final. But, um, yeah, I, I would have rather sort of been running waters on the in the final and um, watch watch the team go on and and win, but um, it was good to be able to play in the third and fourth game and play alongside guys like Ryan Crotty and um, Sonny Bill Williams and Kieran Reid and um, Matt Todd and guys like that that had um, played their last games as well. Uh, and then people like 
you know, Colsey and that, that I played a lot of rugby with over the years. It was pretty awesome to be able to finish in that way for, for me, uh, although I would have rather us been in the final. It was, uh, it was awesome to get one one last chance in the black jersey and, and play in that third and fourth player. How hard is it for you to sort of um, put your ego aside and put the team first when you're not selected in big matches like this where – um, you know, you've been training so hard to get this opportunity and then you just left out of that squad. I'm sure you felt like you could have contributed to that game. Yeah, I think my mindset was like that that whole selection process, that was out of my control. So yeah. as soon as I wasn't selected, yeah, well, like, there was nothing I could do about it. It was just going on to try and prepare the, the team as well as I could uh, for those playoff games and yeah, I think everyone in that same space was the same. So uh, I was lucky enough to have, you know, Crotz was the same. Ryan Crotty was the same. So, uh, yeah, we're, like we had good yarns through that time. And, um, you know, we, we both had that same sort of mindset to, to prepare the team really well. But at the same time, it hurt. Um, so it was good to be able to go and, and talk to Crotz and let a bit of steam off, but then not sort of try and bring that um, back into the team. Like we we attacked that and and tried to prepare the team as well as we could and um, yeah like it was it was a tough one that England game to um, to watch because yeah everything leading up to that we prepared really well yeah yeah and when you're running water in that game like what sort of messages are you getting is it pretty intense or is it all pretty calm cool collected out there it was actually really calm like Fozzie was giving a lot of messages as to the backs as to um how, you know how we could tactically be a wee bit better with uh you know they were they were kicking really smartly uh and pressuring us and it was a matter of like how just like a couple of clear messages but as to what we could have done better but yeah at the time uh the coaches were really calm but yeah it's a tough one because you you you're trying to give the guys everything they need to try and um, turn things around especially because momentum they had all the momentum they had just every you know you've played a lot of rugby you know when um, things just aren't sticking and and you feel like you're under the pump and that was definitely one of those games that that, that was the case one thing that you did also mention is that last game against Wales almost a fairy tale way to go out for you um, without it being a final I guess that was the next next best thing what a way to what a way to finish yeah, yeah, it was a, a good way to finish. As I said before, like having um, all those players that I played a lot of rugby with, that uh, was awesome to to get one last game in and and to enjoy it. Really, like I yeah, I remember talking to Katie and she's just like, you know, this is the last time you get to do it, so make sure that you get out there and enjoy it. And I had um, Katie and the kids, my two oldest, were were there at uh, in Japan. My parents were there. Um, Katie's parents were there. Uh, my uncle was there, and that sort of just just sort of everything fell into place in that game. The fact that we, you know, managed to to win, uh, got a couple of meat pies, which always helps. <laughs> and uh, and I think the biggest thing is we actually just enjoyed that that last game. And yeah, it was yeah pretty awesome actually. Mate, it did look like that to be fair as well. And um, what a what an all black career that you had. Um, incredible stuff. But talk to me about your next step, which somehow you ended up in Poe. How did this one come about? Yeah, so I'd actually signed with I signed with Kobe, but I couldn't sign until halfway through twenty twenty. Oh, so there was like a patch of sort of seven or eight months where I wasn't playing because uh, they obviously had Brody Retallick and Dan Carter on the book, so <laughs> uh, there was there was no space for anyone else really. Uh, so that meant that I had a period of eight months where I was doing nothing. So uh, Poe actually said, "Oh, well, do you want to come over and do a short term sort of a, a short term gig?" And so. 
we thought what an opportunity to go to France. Look there, Conrad was over there, uh, Colin Slade, Tom Taylor, Daniel Ramsey, so a few Kiwis, so a good Kiwi connection. Mm. So uh, got over to Po, uh, travelled with the two kids, so it was a bit of a mission at the time. Got <laughs> over there. Uh, Conrad actually picked us up. He picked us up in uh, Bordeaux and, and drove us uh, back to Po, uh, which was good of him. Uh, and then... Yeah, everything was a bit of a blur, actually, when we first got over. So, you know, the kids didn't sleep well that first night. Conrad knocked on the door earlier the next day and then uh, sort of said, oh, well, you know, I'll take you to the club. We're going to do a medical, which everyone has to do a medical when they first get over there, which I, I thought was pretty crack up because I went to the medical and then, you know, there was just your yeah, Joe Average um, workers there on a, um, an exercycle going until they couldn't go anymore. So, <laughs> and they, you know, they, they didn't look like they were in the um, and peak peak condition, so they were sitting there um, toiling away, uh, and I was sort of looking at Conrad, and, and then I sort of had a crack on it, and um, passed passed my medical, and then we went through a few of the sponsors and and did that kind of thing, and then when I first got like, turned up, I knew that I wasn't going to play for. It was actually ten days before I was playing the first game, Well, just must have been over ten days, uh, and then Conrad, you know, said, "Oh, well, the club had said, look, you turn up, you get a chance to find your feet, and then we'll we'll get you in there." Um, and so I went along to training and then Conrad was showing me around the facility and telling me, you know, this is a gym, this is and the boys were having a meeting. So I said, Oh, it'd be a great opportunity to come and uh come and meet the guys and and come into the team meeting. So I got to the team meeting uh and they were naming the team for that weekend. And so the coach got up and, and rattled off the team and then you know got to fullback and he said my name. And so I was looking at Conrad, like how am I I'm so sad a bit of time here before I'm before I'm in the max. And uh, so afterwards, you know, they pulled me aside and sort of said, and uh, um, coach at the time said, oh, no, we can take him out, we can take him out. I said, look, you put me in there now, I'll play. Um, so uh, that was my introduction <laughs> and for the team meeting to start with. And then, yeah, ended up ended up playing, you know, a couple of days later. And then, yeah, I, I really enjoyed Poe, but, yeah, I had a bit of a rough run there too, really. My first game, we played South Francais, and I, I went to Fiend, uh, a guy, but I couldn't quite get full extension on my arm. And so I sort of managed to, you know, cop him just under the neck, but then that sort of rolled up and just, just clipped his chin. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that, that might be, that might be a penalty. And then it ended up being a, a red card. So that meant I had to go to the judiciary. And I, so I went, flew from Poe up to judiciary. So I thought, oh, well, you know, they seem real friendly. The guys, I obviously didn't speak French where, you know, I took the coach up, had a translator, everything was going pretty well. And then we were flying back down to Po and I heard that we I'd got four weeks for it. So <laughs> that mean that meant that I missed all the games that were over that Christmas uh, New Year period, which is actually a pretty cool time to play over there because you get big crowds, they mm. really enjoy it, they get right in behind the team. So I actually missed that sort of first four weeks and then I played a couple of games and then COVID hit in. So that experience probably uh, I was, we were really looking forward to. We still got a bit of travelling, and we went to Andorra, did a bit of skiing with the kids. Went to uh, Barretts, which was a pretty cool place to, yeah. you know, go and have, check out the beaches, and then got down to San Sebastian one weekend. Got to Bordeaux uh, to check out the wineries and things like that. But just as things were starting to get good, and, and the fact that the weather was coming wide, and we had these plans to sort of a trip around Europe in the summer. Uh, so yeah, COVID sort of stuffed them up, and we ended up doing a sort of five or six week isolation uh, in France where I moved in with uh, Luke and Claire Whitelock uh, with, with Katie and the two kids. So they did well to say, well, 
jump, jump stay with us because we did we thought oh well, we didn't want to be too isolated where we were living and then Colin Slade and and his family were right next door so uh, we whacked a hole in the fence and it sort of became a bit of like communal living uh, between uh, the family so sure. and then and ended ended up coming home after that so it was uh, yeah it was interesting times just with COVID and things like that yeah mate that's crazy and then you were off to Japan right yeah so then I did Japan off the back of that uh, at the end of 2020. Uh, I ended up doing the first couple of months by myself. Then the family came over. Things were still a bit crazy with COVID and the fact that you know you got to do the isolations. Got over there and we didn't we didn't catch it early on. Somehow we we had quite a few cases within the team and you'd, like the competition got put back to start with when we got over there. Mm. I think there were seven or eight teams that had COVID, so they couldn't really run the competition. So we ended up just just waiting really, and then. I just remember it being a whole lot of isolations, which wasn't really what Japan was about. Lucky enough, when I got back, you know, we didn't have all those isolations and things like that. And Japan's now starting to open up and it'll be good for whoever goes over there now to experience it because it's going to return to what Japan was about and the fact that you can experience the culture. Mm. You can come and go from New Zealand to Japan a bit more to see family and and obviously the, the rugby. Hopefully it starts to just move on with things and the fact that there's COVID cases, those those guys just get put to the side and they keep playing the games, which will be a lot easier going forward. Yeah. And how did you find the rugby in Japan? How did it compare to all your other places? Um, yeah, it was a bit of an eye-opener going from France and Poe where it was, it was probably, the game was probably a wee bit slower, but more physical and, and a lot more contact. We went to Japan and it was probably opposite and it was a lot faster, but, you know, you'd go to a ruck and before you know it, the the ball would be moved and it would be out of there. So I actually really enjoyed the footy in Japan and the way that it was played. Yeah, really sort of fast, quick-flowing game that sort of probably suited uh, how, you know, I wanted to play. And also uh, watching Cabelco Steelers over the years, they played a pretty good brand of rugby. So, yeah, it was obviously exciting to to get over and, and to experience that. And did your family enjoy Japan? Did they go the first time? Yeah, so they went the first time. Uh, it was it was really tough. They enjoyed definitely parts of Japan and the fact of, you know, we bought a company bike, so the kids were biking down to school, yeah. uh, got to experience different foods and things like that, a bit of a test for the kids, see what they would eat and not eat. And, uh, yeah, just got a, a cool experience to try something else. But COVID sort of made it pretty tough uh, in the fact that we was always different isolations where we'd get stuck for two weeks and there'd be, COVID within the school, so that would mean they'd have to sort of stay um, in the apartment and things like that. So that's sort of why we decided um, that they wouldn't uh, go back to this last trip that I did, but they'd get a bit more consistency with schooling and things like that. But I, I definitely think going forward, uh, if we were to be signing now and going for another two years, it would be a lot easier for yeah. the family to go over and, and experience Japan the way it should be. And, and not just Japan, like the rest of the world started to open up. It was pretty awesome to see travelling back that you know, things are just sort of starting to crack on and, and there's a bit of normality starting to appear within travel and things like that. 100%. And, mate, you, sounds like you're definitely going back there. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have to run that past the boss. So, um, oh, pretty pretty awesome, uh, yeah. so, as you know. But for you, um, obviously, we've spoken about you haven't quite retired yet, but when you do retire, what are the plans? Um, yeah, so pretty keen to sort of follow the kids around and, yeah. and get them into sport and be real active and, and have a lifestyle where I can try and uh, if they've got something that I need to go to as far as like a, 
a competition or a, something to do with the school camp or something like that, I'm pretty keen to be involved with them going forward and, and being able to be flexible with their lifestyles. Yeah. So that's that's a big part of what I want to do. But then uh, I'm sort of having a dabble within the property market, tough times at the moment. But um, I've got a, a mate of mine, David Grant, who sort of works at Stuart's down here uh, in a building firm that was sort of starting to do bits and pieces around the place that I'm very much a novice, but starting to learn how to sort of you know, do a bit of property development and things like that. So I'll uh, do a wee dabble in that. And then between that and coaching, I'll uh, see where that leads and, and you never know, yeah. Mate, hissing, taking over the need in property. No, I don't know about that. Just, yeah, just trying to learn a wee bit more. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think, yeah, Jamie Joseph owns half of Dunedin, so I have to get some of his property off him. Oh, mate, well, as always, we have gone to our Instagram for some questions, and we have had thousands come in for you. Um, First question, how come there's a man cave sponsored by Spates, but he doesn't let the lads in it? (laughs) Who's this from? Tom Franklin? Banksy. (laughs) Oh, Banksy, here he is. He's been down there having a beer. I've never been invited to Banksy's house, so I'm still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next one. Does he still have cobwebs on his wallet? <laughs> yeah, very much so. It's about it's about saving money where we can. So who who was that from? Lima. Lima Safwanga. <laughs> oh, it's rich coming from home. <laughs> <laughs> have you always been pretty um, sensible with your money? You've obviously made a fair bit throughout your career. You're in a pretty good position coming towards the end of it. Uh, yeah, I've always thought I knew that sort of had to try and be a wee bit smart with, with money, knowing that once the dream's over and rugby finishes, that hopefully I can sort of, as a family, we can sort of set ourselves up going forward and mm. um, not by leaving myself along there too many beers will help. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, in the rugby scene, if you're not bringing in tra- <laughs> trays of beers, you're, you're labelled a tie eh? <laughs> Yeah, I know. That's, that's purely where we're heavy coming from. <laughs> okay, next one. Next one is from our major sponsor, Swish. And I know you're on Swish too. So, mate, huge opportunity yeah. for the listeners to get a video <laughs> shout out from yeah. the great man himself. But if you could get a video shout out from any celebrity, who would it be and why? Um, any celebrity. I suppose Tom Brady's a big one for me. He's, yeah. uh, oh, he's the greatest of all time in my books. And what he's done, especially at the age he's done it, that's that's what I admire, that he's you know, into his 40s, he's putting a lot of time into his recovery, mm. how he plays. Uh, oh, it's, it's obvious, but, um, yeah, shout out from, from him would be would be up there. Mate, bit of a lookalike too, eh? Oh. I look like, yeah. <laughs> you get that often? <laughs> yeah, all the time. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> Mate, we'll have to tee that up. Video shout out from Tom Brady. He would be good. Okay, next one. Hardest player yeah. to tackle. Hardest player to tackle. I'd actually go uh, pretty old school in the fact of Lelia Masanga. Oh, Back in yeah. the day, I felt him. He was, he was tough. I don't just think you'd got it. You, you'd had him and then it'd slip out of it and. I marked him a few times, especially early on. Uh, and then I think from Super Rugby, he might have gone overseas and played, but uh, yeah, I, I would say him. Mm, true. And there's a story when um, Banksy obviously left you one-on-one with Nani. He um, just let him run through. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you remember Banksy. about that? <laughs> oh, that was poor from him. He, he didn't even make out like he was going to attempt to tackle him. Yeah. 
yeah. At least put his head in a dark space and, and give it a go, but he just sort of stayed on his inside and didn't even look like he wanted to tackle him. And then, yeah, I sort of had to put my head in the spokes and just got piss-bowled and did a, did a few rolls backwards and, yeah, a bit of a headache after that, that's for sure. Oh, classic Banksy. Eh? <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be the first time that he's done that. Oh, okay. I saw him make a dominant tackle the other day. Yeah, first time actually. Yes, the Brumbies. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, I've seen I time. About time he found his shoulders. It's, it's been a while. Oh, <laughs> Shane Christie must be into him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, next one. How does Ben Smith handle pressure? Uh, I suppose enjoying wanting to be in big moments. That sort of when I when I realised that that was you know a mindset thing that you want to be in those key moments of key like important games that mean something and actually. Embracing that, that was probably how I sort of learnt to, to handle pressure. Um, and it was sort of mainly mental, a, a mindset mm. a mindset shift and the fact that you want to be in those moments. That, that sort of that helped me over the years. Mate, like that. Okay, next one. Who is your starting all-black fullback 2023 Rugby oh, World Cup? Oh, jeez. Yeah, that's a tough one. Jordy Barrett's obviously got to be in the team somewhere. But mm. I just think the way that uh, Will Jordan's playing – the way that, yeah, he counterattacks and manages to find the try line. Uh, I think, you know, with Jordy playing a wee bit of 12 now, I'd, I'd just about pick Will Jordan at fullback. Mm, and Jordy at 12, not the worst. Jordy at 12, yeah, that would be my, that, that's where I'd go to with it. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay, last question. Best piece of advice Ben Smith has for a Waterlad listener? Uh, oh, I think over uh, my years of playing rugby, it's, now, especially looking back, it's actually enjoying enjoying the ride of playing the game. Enjoy little milestones that you get along the way, and enjoy just day to day things. Because before you know it, you're like me, and uh, you know, look, if I am retired, or, you know, just looking back at um at all the all the moments I've enjoyed in the game, and and there's obviously been uh, games that you've enjoyed, but then there's also just stuff that happens off the field. Yeah, you know, you, you when I catch up with. You know, the guys that I played with, that's sort of what we yarn about most probably is uh, things that have happened through the weeks of, of prepare, preparing for games and, and things like that. So that's what I, I would say to the listeners, yeah. Mate, I love it. It's so true, eh? It's in, about enjoying that journey, not so much where you're going to end up, but that whole journey that yeah. you go on, like even from schoolboy rugby to, like you said, club rugby, Otago, you've been through it yeah. all, but that whole journey of, of where you get to is um, such a cool ride, eh? Yeah, I agree 100%. You've got to enjoy that. That's what it's all about. And you certainly did by the sounds of it. Lots of benders, lots of good times. <laughs> <laughs> not, not so many lately. Three kids today. I hear you. I hear you. But, mate, really appreciate you coming on the podcast, giving up your time. Um, you're a legend of the game here in New Zealand and all over the world, to be fair. So um, it's been cool to go through your journey and um, have a yarn. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, enjoyed it. You're a lad.